then we looked um, in our last episode at how do we disciple teenagers. I don't mean youth. I mean like people who are in the faith uh, longer than uh, being a child. Uh, they're developing, but they're not yet a parent. They're not yet a mature individual who are reproducing and, and, and responsible uh, for others. Uh, so we're going to look at that today. How do you disciple people in the parenthood Hood spiritual state. Hello and welcome again to another teaching session in a series that we titled A Band of Disciples. A Band of Disciples. And this whole series seeks to equip you, to inspire you, uh, to provide you with some practical skills and some ideas to enable you to be a better discipler, a better Jesus-like discipler. And the reason we've taken this metaphor and we've stretched it and played around with it for a while about this concept of a band, a music band, is because in the core of our core, we desire to be a certain type of people in the world. Just like musicians, they have a desire, uh, an image of themselves as great, uh, great, uh, great musicians uh, in a particular um, you know, style of music, whether they're singers or instrumentalists or whatever it might be, but they envision that future and that future they envision for, for themselves enables them to invest the effort to be that. And obviously that demands that they become part of a group, like a band, no musician, uh, you know, will grow to their best potential without engaging with others. Uh, that's what we'd call a community of practice where through relationship and through interactions, uh, people get better uh, at being musicians. And the same thing happens in our discipling endeavors. If we want to help people travel, develop, uh, grow and be everything God designed them to be, to be Jesus-like people, we need to focus not merely on the knowledge, uh, you know, theological knowledge, you know, we're going to give you theology 101, 102, 103, and once you get all the knowledge under, uh, you know, under your belt, you're going to be able to live this particular behavior, and then you become that type of person. It's actually exactly the opposite. And as disciples, we need to remind ourselves over and over and over again that like band uh, leaders or band coordinators or, you know, whoever is leading uh, a group of musicians, our job is to build a certain kind of person, a Jesus-like human being who displays the image of God in the world. A person is undergirds, a type of person undergirds all our interactions. It undergirds the type of people that we're around. It motivates us to do some things and not others, to learn some things and not others. So our learning, our endeavors, our interactions are very much fueled by how we see ourselves or how we see ourselves becoming. Our imagination of the type of person that we would want to be where the good life is, right? So as a discipler, you focus on helping people see themselves, see themselves as Jesus-like people in the world. And that happens as they interact with the discipling community. 
We mentioned uh, the discipling community concept in our uh, last mini-series, if you like. We mentioned also previous to that, over maybe 10 uh, different episodes, we talked about the discipling calling. And we've been uh, w- walking together through some practical uh, applications, some questions that surrounds the implementation of, uh, of our endeavor, our vision of being disciplers uh, who love on others and help them and come alongside them and so on. And, uh, and our uh, the last two times and this episode, we're looking at how do we walk alongside people in different phases of their spiritual development. We looked at uh, how do we help, how do we disciple uh, a spiritual child? I don't mean an infant or a toddler. I mean like a person who's spiritually new to the faith. Then we looked um, in our last episode at how do we disciple Teenagers, I don't mean youth, I mean like people who are in the faith uh, longer than a, being a child. Uh, they're developing, but they're not yet a parent. They're not yet a mature individual who are, uh, you know, who is, uh, um, you know, reproducing and, and, and responsible uh, for others. Uh, so we're going to look at that today. How do you disciple people in the parenthood? Hood, spiritual stage. How do you disciple people in the parenthood is, is spiritual stage? How do you help mature people? And uh, we mentioned that throughout the, the New Testament, whether Hebrew 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or 1 uh, uh, John chapter 2, we are, uh, the, the scripture uses the human uh, metaphor of development. Uh, the phases of human development to uh, to, to propose uh, some ideas about spiritual development. And at the bare minimum, uh, we notice that we can address um, ourselves as children or as young people or as parents. And, uh, and this is something that is really critical to know, that we are dealing with a the person's view of themselves, their identity as, as loved children of God, and their calling as devoted disciples for Jesus. And here is a critical point to make. I have been a pastor for many years, and people would say to me, our group is, uh, like the Connect group, uh, our group is mature. And I say, why are they mature? It's, oh, because we've been together for a long time. We're all, you know, old timers now. We're all Christians for a long time. And I would repeatedly say to them, being a mature believer, a mature disciple, actually has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. Because how many of us know that you can grow older, but not grow wiser? Yeah? So the reality is, we have other specific indicators that suggest a person is mature. And the first idea I say to them, a parent who is maturity in, in, in the scripture, particularly in 1 John chapter uh, 2, verses 12 and 14, a mature spiritual per- person is resembled by a parent. What is a parent? The first thing that makes a person a parent is that they have children. (laughs) You can't move from adulthood to parenthood unless you have children. Otherwise, you're not a parent. So, So a parent spiritually is someone with spiritual children. Someone that actually has reproduced spiritually. Somebody who's discipling others. And the second thing we we know about healthy parents is that they are selfless. 
And therefore we say they're responsible. They're not living for themselves. They're living for others. They're not just going to work so they can spend on a good fancy car or, or on a great holiday, you know, or whatever, you know, fancy clothing that they're going to get. But they invest in their work so they can care and provide for their family members because the number one priority goes to their children, their, their, the people that they care for. And, and it's in the same manner with differentiate a mature person that they're no longer living for themselves, they're living for others. Yeah, and we have all encountered uh, mature people who are selfless, who are not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, look at me, look at me, look at me. We, and we love them. You know, if you could just think about the people that you enjoy being around, the usually people who are selfless. People who, who don't begin the conversation by it's all about me. And then after a little while, they say, don't worry, stop talking about, I'm going to stop talking about me for a second now. What do you think of me? <laughs> like the world revolves around the little self, me, myself. And I, we've all been around Christians, followers of Jesus, who are genuinely selfless, who are not in it for themselves. Even when they speak of themselves, they want to encourage and bring people alongside and journey with others, but they they not in it for themselves and. You know, we we see that in all types of environments. I remember. In one of our church environments, we had a band. Uh, actually, a band, people were rostered on, on a worship band different times. And there were a particular Sunday uh, every couple of months or so where a, a whole family would be involved in the worship experience. Uh, you know, one child is on the drum, the other child on the bass guitar, the other, uh, the, the father is on the, on the, you know, keyboard or, or the mother was singing. And, and you notice their enjoyment of being together as a family. It was so beautiful to watch. But whenever you spoke about the youngest member of the family, who was a drummer, you would hear the members, and particularly the father, speaks of how talented he would brag on the child. I recall, you know, my memory serves me, that one time I think the father said to me that that child is probably more musically talented than I. And that father has been in music for years and years and years. And he was from what, I, I don't know music, but from what I hear, he is quite extremely competent, yet he would say that young fella who was like just coming out of primary school, um, he was definitely talented, but he's, he's better than me. And that's how you know the heart of a father. There is no competition, not the slightest smell of competition. I, I remember my dad once said to me, you know a father when you see somebody that wants others to be better than himself. You know a father, and he was actually saying it about himself, that he wanted us as his children to be better than him. Well, that's a far-fetched thing that I don't think will ever happen. But that's the heart. That's the motivation. A parent is in it for the children, for the family Members, isn't that beautiful? It's a, it, when you see it in practicality, you, you're just awestruck 
you're just awestruck. And I see it in our environment, even as a team. And, and maybe you've seen it in your discipling environments where people who invest in others, I, I, I notice it all the time. When somebody's sharing a learning or when a disciple uh, is sharing a, a story, you look at the person that invested in them and they often have a, a sneaky smile on their face. You know, even online, you sense it. They like proud parents, so to speak. They, they have a moment of, uh, you know, wow, this is so beautiful. It's like what Paul speaks of some churches, I think, to the Philippians say, you are my joy. You are my crown. No sniff of competition or, 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 or give me the credit, you know, no. Nah. Nothing like that whatsoever. They live, and obviously we have times where we go up and down. I don't mean anybody is selflessly 24-7 other than Jesus, glory be to Him. But all of us are trying to live out some glimpses of His selflessness because He's already deposited it in our inner being. He's given us the qualities that portray into life and godliness, and now we need to express it out loud in our day-to-day operations. But, you know, I notice people not just smiling when uh, those whom they invested in are, 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 are um, you know, expressing a, a win or, or, or a story of influence or whatever. I notice, uh, you know, selfless parents are also excited and they celebrate when other people, those who they haven't invested in, share a uh, you know, a, a win or a or a celebration point, or or they notice their growth. Uh, uh, you know, um, as, as, um, in uh, growth uh, enhancement. They, they, you know, they're going from one uh, area of development to the next, and they're so excited by others because they don't just see themselves in competition with other people. They now see the mission of Jesus as the big thing, and they so they focus on other people's wins and instead of their own wins it is just beautiful to behold and those parents do need us to help walk alongside them and help disciple them as well just like my father earthly father was significant in helping me with some of my family when I first was a, uh, started to be a parent. And even up till now, um, you know, we, we could ask him things about our family and, and uh, you know, gain ideas from his wisdom and, and, and so on. But he's not forcing his ideas upon us. He's not, uh, you know, engaging in our family affair without being invited. No, but that's what you as a discipler need to do. So you need to understand the needs of spiritual parents. They moved from being spiritual children. They moved from being spiritual uh, adults. They now multiply, uh, they now reproduced and responsible. They have some, uh, you know, needs. They, 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 they have some qualities, uh, traits that characterize uh, their spirituality. Number one, they now are interdependent. You see, as a child, a, a spiritual child is dependent. Uh, a, a, a teenage or a young uh, disciple, uh, they are independent. They just want it to be all about them. But a parent, a spiritual parent, you recognize them from afar because they have interdependency on other people. They don't think they've got it all under control. They, they know uh, genuinely 
And experientially, they know that they need to rely on others and others need to rely on them. And that's the concept of the body of Christ. They go through significant pain and hardship and surrender challenges. And they need to embrace their life's mission, not to lead a comfortable life, but a meaningful life. So they are going through a pretty tough time. You might say to me, Peter, how do you know that? What, what, what makes uh, hardship and challenges associated with the stage of spiritual parenthood? I would say to you, that is God predetermined little trick to mature people. It's even, uh, it's, it's, it's written over and over and over again throughout the scripture. But once in Romans I, that I recall right now and one in, in James that counted all joy. When you encounter manifold uh, or, or, or multicolored trials, because in trials we see perseverance developed. And in perseverance there is character and in character there is hope. Uh, also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 it says as we carry as we carry in our bodies the death of Jesus the life of Jesus is manifested in our mortal bodies and Paul here was referring to the afflictions to the challenges to the hardship he was encountering and he's saying I endured this hardship because that's when the life of Christ is manifested in me he says in in Philippians chapter 3 he says that um, you know that I want to know him the the power of His resurrection and fellowship in His suffering. Guess what? If we're going to resemble Christ, as Paul says in the rest of that passage, and be made more like Him, you know, God got a little trick, and that is hardship often. And educationally, it's a very familiar concept. We say that we are guided in life by a, a uh, you know, uh, maybe an emotional vision of our future. So I want to be, uh, you know, uh, an incredible, uh, you know, businessman, for example. I'm guided by that even if I don't articulate it. So I do uh, practices as a, as a business person will do those practices. I will engage with communities that, 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 you know, that help me to develop my skills and that. I engage with, with, with jobs and tasks and assignments and projects that would help me uh, you know, live out that particular image I have for my future. And I don't know what I'm doing. My experiences reinforces my desire until a problem occurs. <laughs> Educationalists call that a, a disorientic a disorienting experience or a, or a dilemma or a disjuncture. Uh, it's a problem that we encounter. That problem forces us to reassess our assumptions. So we reflect on why am I feeling that way? And why am I wanting to be that type of person? And as we assess our values and we refer to the norms of the scripture in this case, they say, yeah, I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to endure that. Otherwise, I'm going to change my desire. So that, that painful experience we go through helps us to assess our assumptions. Yes, I want to be like Jesus and therefore reaffirm our commitment not to quit. And in that you know, furnace, 
Uh, God refines us like gold until His face shines on the gold and we look like Him. He, he, he purifies the little bits and pieces in us that can only be melted away uh, when they subjected to the fiery trials and the hardship of, of life. So, so that's why it's so critical to understand that people who are developing into maturity, people who are uh, reproducing and responsible for others, they will encounter hardship and they learn during that hardship to be the type of people that Jesus became uh, for us as an example. Uh, don't forget that it's written of him that, that he endured uh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know, he, he learned obedience by the things he suffered, the scripture tells us. So we need to be aware that if people around us are going through painful, hard experiences, it's this is God's hand upon them to help them go to the next level. They have a desire for fruitfulness. Parents, spiritual parents, have a desire for fruitfulness, desire for a legacy, desire for influence, desire for impact, desire for a return on investment. You know, they're investing and they want to see something in return. They want reciprocated uh, love and affection from their children. They, they, they want to see them develop and grow and become everything that God desires them to be. Uh, they also are others-oriented, as we've said over and over. Uh, you know a parent, a mature disciple of Jesus, because they others-oriented. They also have a need for genuine partnerships. You know, parents do well when they're connected with each other in a, in a harmonious relationship, uh, compared that if their relationship is fractured, you imagine a, a single parent of any gender, they, 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 they do it tougher than people who divide the load of parenting, divide the load of, of provision, they divide, divide the load of uh, you know, interacting with the children and, and divide the load, the workload that's involved in raising up the kids and looking after them. So we desire as parents, partnerships. And, and, and in fact, uh, you know, parents who are involved with other parents who are good influence and in good community of practice of parents, and that even become uh, a more, um, uh, you know, helpful way of doing their own parenting because they, uh, you know, glean ideas from what other parents are doing with their children, particularly if they have similar phases, uh, you, you know, uh, in, uh, in their family stages, yeah? So uh, we, we need partnerships as spiritual parents. So what's your role as a discipler who helping spiritual parents who are helping people who are in the parenthood stage of their spiritual development uh, model the surrender uh, a, a surrender uh, to the holy spirit uh, that show them what it's like to live under the control of the holy spirit to say no to selfish agendas that you probably have every right to uphold and say you know what this would make me happy but I'm choosing to surrender that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we lay ourselves on the altar. People need to see that in practicality, in some things that you live out and be honest, because if you're growing, God is confronting you regularly to lay yourself and the things that you treasure on the altar. So don't pretend that you don't have anything to lay on the altar, but model that surrender. Express that that surrender at times is hard and at times you fail because you're tempted to get off the altar. But 
express that you understand uh, you know what the process is and 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 you understand the the pull to get off the altar so that people feel that they have someone that sympathizes and empathizes with them then live out the life purpose of manifesting Christ if you a, a person that comes alongside spiritual parents you know, like you imagine that you go to a parent um, group a parenting group and uh, some of the parents are just living for their own ambitions you know they you know sometimes people say they they get you know trapped into midlife crisis and all they want to do is you know assert themselves they're going back uh, to be self-centered independent individuals and they're not looking after their children that's not really helpful for you as a parent you want to see parents that are living for their children. They put their children first. They have a, a, a holistic mission in life. They're not self-centered in their mission. So you, as you live your life mission, uh, you also help them to embrace that their entire life is not about their career, as sad as that sounds. It's not about, uh, you know, their hobbies. It's not about what they are achieving. It's not about their, uh, uh, their reputation. It's not about their education. That you help uh, them frame their own commitment to a life mission that is fully lived for Jesus because He died and rose again. That those who live, hey, no longer live for themselves, but live for Him who died and rose again. And you allow uh, that Word of God to penetrate the emotions that we all have to to, to potentially want to figure out a loophole in that. Like, can I live for God wholeheartedly, but also do this? <laughs> so that the life mission should be fully and wholeheartedly uh, focused on extending the life of Jesus in your body, allowing Jesus to live his life. I've been crucified with Christ. That is death to self. That's the heart of maturity. I no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My entire life and mission and hope is that life uh, that Jesus would live his life in me. Uh, thirdly, treat them as partners. Now that they've moved past the idea of a child and, and a teenage or a, a young person, they need to feel like you respect them as partners. Like imagine, uh, you know, you are a married person, you go back to your family of origin and they're telling you, have you washed your teeth? <laughs> have, have you had a shower? Like, excuse me, I'm, I'm a parent now. Like you can't treat me like I'm a toddler or a, or, or a, a little kid. You with me? So you need to begin to treat them as a partner, not as a, uh, you know, what you, um, you know, imagine them to be like still uh, spiritual kids. Then we talked about the idea that initially in their uh, spiritual uh, childhood stage, you initiate interactions. In their teenage years, you are very responsive to them in your interaction. Here is just being available when needed being available when needed. That if they need you uh, daily, uh, you know, by God's grace, He'll give you the, the you know, obviously after you, you, you set boundaries and so on, uh, you, you be available for them. And there will be seasons where they need you all the time. There are seasons where they don't need you as, as often. But, but be available. And don't be available and silent. Be available and indicate that you're available. Emotionally and indicate that you're available verbally. Be 
available when needed. And then exchange experiences and stories. Stories form who we are. They no longer need the direct instructions. They're probably not in a phase where they need the, you know, that coaching, that you know, uh, phase of, of, of helping them, you know, do this. And what do you think about that? They, they probably just want you to share experiences with them. You share what's going on in your life. If, if you're working with them on a particular matter, you, you, you are, you know, especially when they're going through a hardship, you express some of your hardships as, as exchange of ideas and stories and affirmation that that process is normal, that they not, that they, that they haven't missed the mark, that that's actually a sign of maturity. And, and as we engage with parents, spiritual parents, and we support them through the tough times that they experience, they will figure out a way to live with the hardship, but not allow the hardship to ruin their investment in God's work. You know, some people when they experience hardship, okay, see you later, God. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect you to be, uh, you know, allow me to go through that. But others, they allow the hardship to motivate them to live wholeheartedly for Jesus even more. And like the disciples said, that we counted a joy, that we rejoiced, that we were allowed, that we were worthy to suffer on His behalf. And and as we uh, gather that attitude and we live as partners who appreciate the fact that in this life we're going to experience and share in the suffering of Jesus but together we're going to stay strong because the life of Jesus will be manifested in us and guess what if the life of Jesus manifested in the people that you invest in in your life in the group that you invest in there will be multiplication everywhere because people when they smell the aroma of Christ they are attracted and we can see a super supernatural movement of Jesus-like disciples in every environment that God-honoring people are uh, living their calling and living their identity as children, living their calling as imitators of Christ and living selflessly for the mission of God. And that's exactly what we'll finish off uh, this particular mini-series on. In our next episode, we're going to look at how do we see this movement? How do we pioneer uh, a movement of discipleship in any organization that you might be part of or in a church environment? I am so excited about sharing with you about that in our next episode. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus.